22 minutes after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Atawe. And we go straight into the latest out in company news and in the markets joined on the line to take a look at these big stories by Kanyan Zululeka, uh, who is uh, joining us from Satana Capital. Kanya, good evening. Welcome. Hi, Aya. Thank you for having me. Good evening to you, too. Yeah, I hope you're well. No, I'm very well. Um, I had a, a really, really great weekend. Uh, um, so, yeah. Okay. It's a bit further away, but yeah. Hey, man, like the weekend's great. just here. Well, for <laughs> us, I mean, we tinas chai sang ulesin, so so certainly tomorrow's the weekend. Well, today so, feels like a Thursday, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, Kanya, I want us to take a look at some stories uh, in the markets. And, of course, one of the big stories is certainly the one we're going to be talking about in our headline segment with the Communication Workers Union. And that is the Telcom MTN exploratory Mm. chats, which seem to have hit a snag. Give us some background Mm. and context. What happened here? We also know that there's uh, rain also that it seems was waiting in the wings, also hoping to be absorbed into Telcom. Yeah, so very interesting. Uh, MT, well, actually, Telcom coming out with a statement saying that MTN has actually walked away from talks um, in which they had actually approached Telcom to, to, to buy the partly owned, partly state owned um, Telco. So effectively, they've come out saying that MTN sort of ended the discussions when Telcom couldn't provide MTN with assurance that the talks were exclusive. Um, so I think one of the big sticking points, like you just mentioned now, the approach by Rain Group to Telcom, um, funny enough, not to actually acquire Telcom, but to actually have Telcom acquire it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's um, quite surprising because everyone is very, well, you know, people who were sort of looking to see if um, they can actually put together a Telco that can compete with Photocom, um, quite disappointed. Um, people obviously not happy with Telcom. Those Telcom shares down 22% today. Um, the MTN share price not doing too badly, down to 3.71%. Um, but yeah, I mean, all around, I think that it is quite a surprising announcement. Well, surprising in what sense? Because I, I do think, I mean, Kanya, that even when this deal was announced, a lot of people were quite concerned about the implications for competition. And I was saying to, to Andila earlier on, um, you know, one of the things I, I sort of c- that come to mind for me when I think about this issue of competition is, you know, in this market, you did have for the longest time three big players. And when I say, well, mm-hmm. maybe four, right? If I add Cell C, which has since sort of ceased to be a telco, they now call themselves a tech co. Um, but Cell C and some of the challenges they face on the infrastructure side raise. Uh, one, firstly, the significant... Great for the consumer to have as many competitors yeah. um, operating within it as, as possible. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that, like you said, that um, as much as for their respective towers, telecom separating their towers business, MTN effectively doing a bit of a sell and lease back there. So there was alignment, and I think that, you know, um, MTN would have benefited a lot. But yeah, I think that... At the Story, I mean, telecom was planning to do the same, with its own towers, I understand about sort of just over 4,000 towers, well, under 4,000 towers or so. And they were also hoping that they would list this, the connection there with Kanya, on a much better line and uh, we'll try and uh, get her back on a better line here. Kanya Zoruleka from uh, Satana Capital joining us for our wrap of the top business stories.
Yeah, how ironic uh, that uh, the lines, uh, I guess, ominously cut on us as we talk about telecom. Uh, and I certainly hope the towers are in good operating order there. But uh, like Kumitanya, ESCOM maybe is uh, the uh, cause there of uh, our gremlins there with the lines. Uh, but Kanya, I hope we have you back on a better line. No. Kanya? Hello? Hi, can you hear me now? You are still breaking, unfortunately. I, I actually Yo. don't know what the problem is, but it's a bit better. Okay, all right. So, Kanya, I was saying, I mean, ironically so, uh, because of our difficulties in connecting <laughs> now, uh, that uh, Telcom also wanted to spin off their towers um, business mm-hmm. uh, and list it, uh, you know, separately. And, of course, uh, market volatility put paid to that. But do you think that course of action might still be open now? I think um, definitely without a shadow of a doubt. Um, it just makes sense, right, to unlock value to to do that. They have quite a number of businesses as well that I feel that, you know, from a um, strategy perspective, they should actually look at spinning out. I know that um, there was also, like, um, they have huge properties all over the country, so that was also on the cards. Um, so I, I think that that definitely will be on the cards, but um, there's still quite a bit of volatility within mm. the markets globally. Um, I think that it's the intention of management to go forward with it. But like you said, volatility within the markets might actually make a difference, strike a deal. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I mean, I think uh, one of the other things we often assume, I mean, telecom, uh, because it was partially privatized, is no longer a state company. But just out of interest, I mean, uh, the government is still the largest probably uh, non-institutional or non-retail investor. Uh, with uh, mm-hmm. just over 40% of a stake there and about 16% or so, uh, or just under 16% held by government workers via the government mm-hmm. employee pension fund. So very much still a public company. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it remains to be seen whether or not this is the season for takeovers insofar as Telcom SOC is concerned. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, it's a lot. As um, you know, as people on Twitter will say, it actually is a lot. Um, it's so funny that this should happen um, a couple of weeks after the Showmax series has come out. Yeah, the timing's um, a bit hmm, for me. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's as though someone actually watched the series and I was like, you guys need to do something about this right now. Because um, it's been five years, right? And um, within that time, I think that um, some investigations have gone a lot more quicker. Um, and it's been quite surprising how... I-, I was actually surprised to find out that he still had use of quite a lot of his assets, the Lanzarote wine farm. Well, I was surprised um, that he might still be in the country. Yes, apparently they found him in his hermana's home. It's either hermana's home or the Landrick wine farm. Wait, they found him. They found him there. They served him. Yeah. No, I think that they, I read somewhere that they found him and he was cool, calm and collected and he was cordial. Um, So it is actually very surprising that, you know, he's still in the country. But I do think that it would be difficult for him to leave um, considering... Yeah, it's it's a hundred, it's two hundred billion worth of shareholder value that was wiped out as a result of all the accounting regularities, and it's pinpointed to over a hundred billion rand worth of accounting fraud and and so forth. So, I do think that um, while it might not be public, um, it's going to be difficult for him to to leave the country, which is yeah, like you're saying, which is actually surprising because the Guptas were able to do it. Um, but um, that's the story with him at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure what to make of this. Um, because in a way, the seizure, or I guess the... Um, yeah, it is a seizure, right? Or of his assets, or what do they call it? There's a term it's for it. It's more... Yeah, it's more attachment. like a preservation. Yeah, a preservation yeah, yeah, yeah. attachment. All right. So, which means that he can still use the assets and, and all of that, but he just can't sell it. He can't... Um, they've also seized a lot of evidence, digital and hard copy, so he's not allowed to delete any of that while the, the Reserve Bank is working on the investigation. Yeah, because, I mean, so, so for me... This attachment is an outcome of them executing a high court order, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, there's questions around the timing and, you know, we can have that chat. Um, but it just does seem to me that there is some... One, there's a multitude of investigations underway, both here at home and elsewhere. Number two, mm-hmm. it just seems that the sophistication of the trickery that happened here and the corruption and the fraud that happened... Um, I often lament that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if our investigative authorities, um, let alone the police, can put a case together that might compel the NPA to say we have a winnable case here. Um, because, mm. you know, I mean, this is the guy, he worked at the tax administration for years. So even mm. on tax issues, you know, he knows all the loopholes because in many cases he might have written it. He might have been party to writing some of the, the stuff. I don't know. Uh, but the other element is... You know, the weakness in forensic um, accounting capability to actually unpack over a long period what actually happened here. Um, I mean, he ran circles around, and it was there in the documentary again, he ran circles around the portfolio committee, which really could only say, I mean, why did you do this? Are you remorseful? And it just looked, you know, very soapy-esque because there was really no technical basis to hold him accountable at that stage. Um, and I don't think even now, if you would go, if I'm you know, it would be any different. So, yeah, I, I mean, is this a big milestone or is it just, um, you know, maybe a flash in the pan? So, to the point that you just raised, it's very hard to prosecute accounting fraud crimes because um, usually it will involve some form of a valuation mm. that was overstated or understated, depending on the direction that the fraudster needed that valuation to go in order to pocket. Now, in valuating, you have your models, but at the end of the day, it is quite subjective. Um, and if you're looking at things like some of the you, some of the transactions that were done pertaining to the purchase and the sale of shares, um, who is to say that you know the the valuation that he and his team reached, um, you know, was incorrect? Yes, we can look at it right and say that okay, listen, this doesn't make sense based on the fact that you know the share price was X. Now you actually buying this for X. What does this mean? But to your point, it's going to be difficult to say that, yes, you definitely um, did this. You definitely overstated that. So there's a difficulty there. That's the first point. Um, And I guess the second point is, um, you know, if you're going to try and bring criminal charges against someone for something like that, your case needs to be stronger. In this case, the question that the Reserve Bank is asking themselves is, was Steinoff used in contravention of exchange control regulations to siphon money away from, um, f- from, from shareholders and other stakeholders to Marcus Yuster and his associates? And if you read the report, they keep saying there's reasonable grounds mm. to suspect that this happened. There's reasonable grounds to suspect that this happened. 
um, and you wonder if that will be enough for a criminal case. Um, and to your point, South Africa, this is why um, there's such a, the, the big word right now is grade listing. Mm. Um, and the big reason is because we have been found um, by the powers that be that in terms of our financial crimes, investigations, capacity, the monitoring and prevention, we're not that strong. So um, in, in this case, the former chairman of Petco, Jayendra Naidu, very interestingly enough, actually brought legal charges or a legal case against the Reserve Bank saying that they enabled Marcus Eusta to, um, to actually um, um, you know, send about, it was about 19 billion euros out of the country. So, you know, it's things like that where you ask yourself what will happen. I do think that it is worth a bash, um, and hopefully they are the right people within um, the NPA as well as the Reserve Bank who can be able to bring conclusive um, objective proof to say that, listen, this happened, this was fraudulent, um, and, you know, we can hopefully get some justice because at the moment, um, if he is found at contravention of the exchange control mm. regulations, he faces about five years in prison, um, a fine of about 250,000 rands, or he can actually um, be brought to the book for the full amount of those contraventions, um, which runs in the billions. But at the end of the day, I do think that it would be great to get criminal charges against Marcus Yester, along with the other executives that helped mm. him in um, pulling through this huge wall over everyone's eyes. And I mean, Kanya, I'm not hearing uh, any of these options suggesting that there is a mandatory, you know, custodial sentence there of Arola's orange um, because you know I mean if you l- listen to the story of the techie town owners and founders for instance uh, I-, I know for free that they would certainly look forward to the day where he's hauled you know into overalls and he's arrested um, and it just that seems even if there is a very strong case here it seems highly unlikely it's, it's going to be an uphill battle um, that much I can say, and maybe that is why um, you know he's, he, he's he's still relaxed at the moment, is because he knows that the case against him is going to be extreme. Is going to have to be extremely strong. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's wait and see. Mm. Um, so far, they've you know um, I think Steinhoff has actually paid about seventeen billion rands to settle some of the claims against him. The people lost um, you know billions, um, and some justice needs to um, be brought as as well to, to people to feel as if there's some sense of justice for their suffering and their pain, particularly small retail investors who are not going to have enough money to um, hire a fancy lawyer to bring a lawsuit against this guy. Yo, I can, only time will tell. Eh? Yeah, 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 only yeah, time yeah. will tell. We can only be hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think the fact that it took them five years to get to this point um just goes to show that this was extremely intricate, um, well-planned and well-thought through. Um, and all we can say is you can see it. Mm. Um, but, you know, you can't do that in a court of law. You need to say that, okay, this is what happened, this is why it's wrong, and this is the evidence. Not that, oh, like, this just looks wrong. And then, whenever I hear of defaults, I, I, I always get scared because... I know very few companies who come back from debt defaults. Um, okay. Unless, I guess, maybe you're a company um, whose credit might be guaranteed by the state or you're a company that from time to time can rely on capitalization from you and me as taxpayers. The land bank, 
40 billion rand yeah. default last year um, and uh, they say they on a good record uh, they went to parliament and presented uh, numbers in the black and also saying they are chipping away at that principal amount and having very productive discussions with creditors what's happening here yeah, so the state-owned uh, Lend Bank, which was the largest lender to farmers, like you said, Ayabonga, they defaulted in 2020, 40 billion rands worth of um, um, outstanding loans out to creditors. Um, and it's been a journey for them over the past couple of years. Um, a liability solution that had been put forward has had to go through changes around about three times. However, it does look as though the lenders are comfortable with what has been put forward by the team, um, who's actually done an exceptional job because when we think about our state-owned entities, whenever they reach a point where, I don't want to say failing, but they're experiencing difficulties, it just seems to go on and on and on. Um, but in this case, um, the land bank coming out saying that it's very likely that they are going to reach a settlement, well, a solution, a restructuring solution with all lending, um, with all lenders by March 2023. And they've really done well, right? Um, like you mentioned, chipping away at that debt. Um, so they've repaid 43% of the debt that was outstanding in 2020. Further reduction is expected. Um, they received a clean audit for their current financial year. This is after they had received received a qualified and a, a qualified audit opinion and a disclaimer in the previous two financial years. Um, and yeah, they've reported net profit of about 1.4 billion. Um, that's against a net loss of 700 million in 2021. So very much good news coming out of Land Bank. Um, I think that it's absolutely necessary that mm. they come back online. Um, it's necessary for, you know, the transformation agenda of the country, but just in general for, you know, the agricultural sector yeah. to have a state-owned bank that is particularly focused on that sector. Kanya, Masishi Apo for tonight. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Kanya Nzuruleka is the CEO uh, at uh, Satana Capital speaking to us t- tonight for our wrap of the top business stories.